It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I've had a blockage in my heart chakra for about six years. Any suggestions or technique or what could that be? Well, no idea what it could be. Um, suggestions or techniques. All right. So uh, we were having a discussion with the table that I was sitting at lunch. I think it was yesterday. And I was describing how um, having gotten a degree in psychology and knowing about alternative ways of healing and things, I've never shied away from getting assistance when I needed it with emotional things or energetic things. Um, and I felt that I was very good about that. Like I felt that I was on top of that. Uh, but it wasn't until my wife died that I went to counseling and I really saw what I needed to work on. It's, it's a weird thing to describe because I, I, had, I had been in counseling, I'd worked through things, but it was that, it, it took that level of experience to reveal to me what I really needed to be looking at. So even though I started going to counseling for grief, you know, for the grief of loss, uh, while I was going through the experience of observing Melissa passing, we were going through that together, I did my best to be as present with it as possible, which means I didn't not cry. I did not explain to people how I was feeling. Like if I cried, it was coming out and it was coming out a lot. So I wasn't sticking it all down there. You know, I wasn't trying to be tough and strong, although I did, you know, do what I needed to when I had to, um, to help. But when I went to counseling in that situation, it was I actually only spent a little bit of time on the grief aspect of it because I consciously knew I was going to have to work with that, so I did while it was happening. But it, it opened up to me and it revealed to me all this, as my counselor put it, this, she says, I have pristine defense mechanisms. <laughs> she said, you know, your problem is you're too smart and you are very good at tricking yourself. And here I'm thinking, no, I don't trick myself. I'm self-aware. Roy told me I was. <laughs> Roy told me I was self-realized enough, and that was ten years ago, right? And uh, and 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 she's telling me this, and, and and I know it's true. So I'm not pushing against her. I'm not saying no, you're wrong. I'm I'm stepping back. I'm like, okay, I I can't see them yet. Like I don't really know what they are because they're so pristine, <laughs> and I, I've done such a good job, but. I trusted her. I, I knew she was good at what she did. And I even asked her at one point in time, I said, look, I've done a lot of counseling. I've studied a lot of this stuff. I know how it works. I said, can you tell me that you have successfully worked through this stuff with people? Because obviously I've done it a long time and it must not have worked. And she looked at me and she said, if you stick with it long enough, I guarantee you that it'll work. And I, I said, well, okay, so we'll do it. And that was two years in. Uh, the third year, I'm still having a lot of issues. 
And a part of my issue was, you know, going through losing Melissa and having to face a lot of things, life was not alive for me. Like I would walk outside and whereas before I would see nature and I would be just in love with the sunlight and I would feel, uh, I would feel an energy of life, it was just gray. And it wasn't depressing, it was just like I would see things and I just, it was just gray. And that's three years after she passed. And I thought, well, I guess this is what life is just gonna be like now. You know, I just don't, I don't have the flavor of it anymore. And that must be what yogis go through. You lose the interest in life, so therefore you're interested in going deeper into things. I thought that was the case, so I was willing to accept it. Uh, but then um, I was feeling kind of alone in regards to some of this pain, and I told her that. And she said, well, the, the role of, of good counseling and therapy is to be with someone who can hold, not hold you, but experience the pain with you, to be there with you in it. And I, having, it's three years now, and I still feel it, I'm like, well, it's been three years, and I still feel it. And she said to me, this is the first time she got animated with me. She said, it's because you won't let it out. And I just kind of like jumped back. I was like, well, okay, I won't let it out. So I had, to, I had to process and think about what am I doing that I won't tap into this to express it, right? And I worked hard to figure that out, and I finally did. And it's only recently, you know, in the last probably several months that it came to a conclusion. And she was fascinated by that, and I was too, because it wasn't like this big epiphany it was just as if the sun came up and I saw it and I was freer and there was color in life again and there was interest in doing things like real interest like the, the flavor of it you know um, and anyway the reason I'm telling you this is because one of the things that we, we had talked about early on in the counseling because I explained to her what my spiritual path was and she practices yoga so I could talk to her a little bit about that and I was explaining how um, you know, detachment, not being attached to things is an important quality. And um, I was trying to figure out, am I being repressed and am I, am I using that as a defense mechanism? I am a yogi. You know, I, I do not get involved in these things. Uh, much like early on, I was that way. I remember when, when Melissa's uh, grandmother or father died and she was upset. I was like, why are you upset? You know, the soul goes on. There's nothing to worry about. Like, those are the things that I would say. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't be that way. Um, so I, I, knew th I knew from that that there was something in there that I had to really look at. Um, and one of the things that she, we talked about, she said, really, probably what happened was your yoga practice did a, did a good job for you. That it's, it was like putting a Band-Aid on this huge wound which kept you from bleeding on everybody else, but it didn't address the, the wound. And when she told me that, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense because I always still felt this kind of fissure or like big gash, you know, in the heart area. And I had to face that. And um, so through working with her, I began to acknowledge that as a possibility. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but she helped me to see ways of doing that, which dovetailed with my spiritual practice. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily separate. It, it seemed like working with her was facilitating depth of spiritual practice for me. And it did. And that's why now uh, I am so adamant, like when I wrote the book, An Essential Guide to Kriya Yoga Practice, that's why again and again it says in there, look at your psychological stuff. Because 
it's as if working through that, all the things that Yogananda talks about, that Sri Yukteswar describes, that Ramana Maharshi talks about, once that wound, or whatever it was for real, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, once that closed up, and I didn't need yoga to be keeping me from bleeding all over everybody, yoga was then able to do what they say it's supposed to do. And it was easy. I mean, it was like, oh, okay. It was a, it was a whole other experience of, uh, of inner awareness because I wasn't using that energy to quit, to prevent myself from bleeding all over everybody. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Write a book in two weeks. So, um, what was that? Write a book in two weeks. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so to answer this question, you know, any suggestions or techniques, having an experience with that heart chakra issue, I was un- absolutely unaware of what caused that for me. And through working with a skilled person who was very good, I was able to look at it and become more aware of it and to face it. And using her skills, which were body-oriented skills, eye movement, uh, EMDR, um, that allowed me to tap into it to heal that part. And then it just went away by looking at it, by attending to it. Now, there's other things you can do, too, that I think helped me. And uh, I've described this before in, in other settings, um, and it's related to you know when Melissa was was passing. This was a, a, a lesson that I learned um, when it was probably maybe six or seven weeks before she passed, and they finally said it's nothing's working. Like this is it. Like she can die in the hospital or she can die at home. You guys choose. And uh, she still had to go back to the hospital to get blood infusions because she had no bone marrow. Like there was no, nothing was being made in there. In order to keep her kind of alive, she had to keep getting transfusions. And um, uh, so I would take her to the clinic and she would go get her transfusion. And on the way out one day, she said, you know, I would like to go talk to the social worker, which is a good thing because in cancer treatment and in all these things, they don't bring up psychological well-being at all. It's like... I'm, I was flabbergasted. You know, someone is, is going through this. They've been healthy. They have this 180-degree turn, and no one's going to be there to psychologically help them adjust to that or even to psychologically adjust to the possibility of dying. I mean, that's a whole other story. But anyway, luckily, she had a very good uh, social worker. And I said, yeah, I'll take you. So she went there, and I went, and I sat in the car. And it was a cold, maybe February. And I was just sitting in the car, and I became overwhelmed with what was happening. It's like I finally realized what's going on here. And I just cried and I just cried and the pain was, it was as if my whole body, like every nerve in my body was just like someone took a match all over my body and stuck it on there. And what happened though in my mind was, I don't, I don't really know how I got to that point, but it started and then what came up was I said, God, if this is the gift you want to give me, I accept it. And I don't mean that like grudgingly, the kind of prayer where you're sort of like, well, I'll accept it. I mean, like I absolutely just said, give it to me. And that feeling grew and it grew and it got worse. And it was like I was being incinerated, like actually burned alive. And the tears were coming out. But I said, if this is the gift you want to give me, I accept it. And then the pain and the sensations and everything transformed. And it became light. And it became, it was almost as if the particles of my body like had more space in it. 
And while I didn't get any words, God didn't come down and say, here's your message, there was a sense of, uh, peace isn't even the right word, there was a sense of uh, wellness about everything. Like, and Melissa had had that the whole time towards the end. Like, she felt that she was healed, even though she was dying. Like, she was healed on another level. And it was as though I felt that, despite that I was admitting what was happening. And I've used that, I've used that, that process multiple times. Like when I, when I have a sense of a blockage or when I have a sense of an emotion that I can't quite get a handle on or something that keeps coming up, I stop and I, f- I feel it as, as purely as I can. I, I use all of my senses and engage it in what it is I am feeling. And I say, okay, if this is the message, if this is the gift, I absolutely accept it. Now, of course, Many of you have heard me talk about um, taking ice baths. Well, that helped me because getting in 32 degrees water, you have to surrender to that. Otherwise, you're going to go out of your mind. <laughs> you're going to scream. <laughs> Curse words are going to come out. But if you get into it and you feel it and you learn to just let it be there and you, and you don't tense up and you just surrender to that cold, to that force of nature, it's like you realize that you are supported in some way. So um, how did I do it? I went to counseling. I practiced that technique because I consider it a technique now, you know, that, that surrender, the, the give it to me, the I accept it. And I, I, I challenge myself like with ice baths or things that are hard to do and I, I fully do it just to see that I can move into it. And by going through that process, that's the long and short of it, um, that's what I did to burn through some of that stuff. Yep, go ahead. That's a good question. So she's asking, if that comes up in meditation, do you, do you stay with it like I was describing, or do you just kind of push it aside and, and keep going? Um, if it's an occasional thing, I would stop and look at it. I would stop and I would feel it, and I would give my, my full attention to it, just like I described. If it's something that happens daily, then I would say, I'm putting you aside because I need to learn how to focus and do the pranayama. And then I would go address that with someone else. Because if it's a consistent thing that comes up again and again and again, it's going to just get in the way of your meditation. And that's why you have to work it out so it doesn't. But sometimes it's true. You're meditating and you just happen to bump up against something you've not dealt with. And so it's okay to just set aside your meditation for a bit, be in the present moment with it, look at it, feel it, breathe through it, accept it, until it passes. And then you take up your meditation again. But if it comes up again and again and again, then you need to, you need to tap into some other resources for it. Okay. Any other questions about this? I thought I saw another hand. Uh, I think uh, if, if this is you know, kind of a personal thing, it's okay <clears throat> not to say. I was just wondering, how, when you were going through this, how, how often did you go to counseling or even now once a week. Once a week. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go very much while, while she was going through treatments and everything. Uh, I still would talk to her social worker when I could. But when you're in that situation, like, you don't have time to, to do stuff like that. You're, you're barely sleeping. So, um, but after it was over, yeah, I started going once a week. And um, that, I've been doing that for four years. And we're just at the point. Next week is my last one. 
she said, well, you know, if you just want to check in every now and then and we can see what's going on, that's fine. She's like, but I think we got it. And uh, it feels like it. And that's four years. And I didn't, you know, I was skeptical because, like I said, I had done a lot of work myself previously. And, uh, and I just came to the point where I was just going to accept that this was my new state. But there was, there was something in me that I, I didn't quite believe it. You know, it, it was like it was like I wasn't allowing myself to be present for what life was doing right now. You know, like, I, you know, what do I have to complain about? You know, I, like nothing. I've got a house. You know, I've got a wonderful partner. I've got a, a teenage, I call her my pseudo daughter, who's really great. I've got all of you. I mean, all of you are very reassuring to me. Um, I can play music with Claire. I've got good food. I mean, there, there's, there's so much stuff out there that I could be alive with. And we are meant to be that alive until we're dead. And then we're still alive. We're just not in a body. So if, if, if there is this, if there is kind of what I was describing, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that there are other possibilities and you can become alive. And that's kind of what yoga wants us to do. It wants us to be, um, it wants us to be alive in every moment. Really alive in every moment so that I can be with you when I'm with you, so that I can be, I can play Dungeons and Dragons with Kira when it's Saturday night and that's what I'm supposed to be doing, so I can get up in the morning and meditate and, and do that well, so I can write books, so that I can, um, you understand? Like, I'm, I'm meant to be there in all of those moments. I'm not meant to be waiting for another moment or something to end. That's not being alive. Even in pain, even in pain, you're meant to be alive in the pain. You're meant to feel the pain. You're meant to experience the pain. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not a punishment. It's just what happens when you're alive, right? So anyway, any other questions on this topic before I'm... I'm just curious, how do you know if the counselor is skilled at what they're doing or they're just projecting? <coughs> that, that's, a, that's a really great question because um, just like, you know, we were having discussions about different teachers, just like, just because someone says they're a teacher doesn't mean they're a good teacher. So you have to take a chance and interact with them a few times and observe how it goes, and you need to trust your, your gut. You need to trust your gut. There's a really great book called The Gift of Fear. The Gift of Fear by, I think it's Gavin De Becker or something like that, and it's all about learning how to trust your gut, which I think is a wonderful process because it helps you recognize truth and this was a book that my counselor told me about, and I read it, I was like, wow. And the, the guy's theory is that um, you would probably avoid 98% of traumas and difficulties and injuries and accidents and uh, uh, criminal activity if you trusted your gut, because your gut knows when you should and should not be somewhere. And this, the fellow who wrote the book, he, he has a business that is, uh, he basically works with like presidents and um, high-profile people to gauge uh, dangerous situations and he's learned how to actually do that to say is this going to be a problem for this person do we need to do something or not and the whole book is is based on learning how to trust your gut and that fear is a gift that fear is not something that we need to just cast away that your your mind and your body and your senses process so much stuff that you are unaware of it's like if right now I'm looking at you and I'm talking about this and I see someone run by that door over there out of the corner of my eye, maybe I see they've got a gun. I don't really see it consciously, but I know immediately something's wrong. 
And if I trust that, I might say, yeah, we should probably just go to our rooms right now. And I live that way now. There are so many situations, Jasmine's gotten used to it, but there are so many situations where something happens and I'm like, no, we're not doing this. Like I absolutely not, I've learned that if I have a feeling and it says no, I don't do it. It makes me look crazy sometimes, but I swear when I ignore that every single time, it bites me in the ass, every single time, and sometimes worse than others. So it's a good book, The Gift of Fear. Um, So to answer your question, you need to, number one, word of mouth is good. Do you know other people who've had good experiences with this person? But if you're following word of mouth, pay attention to who is saying it. (laughs) Really, that's that's, that's an important thing, okay? Because if it's someone that like, you kind of don't really resonate with, like, oh, you need to go to this counselor, they're great. You might not get along with that counselor. Um, in the example I have, when, when, when this all first started happening with Melissa, I knew I needed help because I hadn't faced anything like this before. And the first person I went to was recommended to me, but I wasn't, didn't have any discernment. And uh, the first thing they said to me, now here's my wife, whom I've known since I was 16, dying all of a sudden after taking care of herself like there's no tomorrow. And this is what he says to me in the first session, the first 15 minutes. Well, it sounds like you have a codependent relationship. Nice. And that's what we need to work on. Nice. And I was like, uh, that may be true, but <laughs> that is not helpful right now where I'm out of my mind with grief. You, you know? And so I, did I go back to him? No, I did not. He said, you want to schedule good? And I said, no. And I left. Uh, and then I met another, uh, I met another um, uh, counselor who I think was pretty good but she was super hot. Oh, yeah. and, and, and I knew that was not going to work for me because, you know, it, it's, it's, that's a bad situation. When you're trying to get help, you know, your wife is going through the situation, you're sitting there thinking, wow, this chick's hot. <laughs> you, you, you know, that's not going to work. So you, you have to have your own, you have to know how you work too. You, you have to know your own stuff. And then I moved to West Virginia Somehow, I don't even know how I found this, this woman, but I thought, she does EMDR, I'm going to give her a chance. And I sat down, I worked with her, and it was pretty bland, pretty benign at first. Um, but as time went on, I, I was not repelled by her. I did not necessarily feel super enthused about doing it, but I knew I had like a sense that, that I can trust this person. And sure enough, time went on, and it worked out very, very well. And she's turned out to be a very skillful uh, practitioner so so you have to like anything else just feel it out this episode of the kriya yoga podcast was made possible by donations from kriya yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash kriya yoga